because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raises us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. In order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. All right. I think, uh, wanna, kids, you're dismissed for uh, Sunday school at this time, so that's good. You can make your way out if up through fifth grade, you're good to go. And I don't need this, so I don't know what I'm going to do with that. But I want to welcome you here. If you're here at Creekside and this is your first time here, we just want to extend a special welcome to you this morning. If you take your bulletin, there is an extra flap on that bulletin. If you would kindly fill that out and give us your name and your contact information, if you so choose, and then you can tear it off. Uh, don't know how you can do that discreetly, just uh, fold it a couple times and tear it off and then just stick it in the little bags that go by later as we collect up the offering. If you're here as part of our regular church family, you're invited to read through there. If you have a prayer request or something you want to share with us or some information or you're interested in getting involved in a small group or have questions, please do that as well. Indicate that on your card and we'd be glad to try to accommodate your requests. I have a couple of announcements, actually more than a couple, but I want to make sure that you know next Sunday between uh, the first service and second service, the young people will be out in the entryway there and selling their pizza kits. So you can make pizzas and the idea is that the contributions are going to help fund our Haiti mission team, okay? So come a little early next week if you can and be prepared. If you have questions about it, if you want to get a hold of Megan at the office, she can give you Katie Markhart's number, or if you want to talk to Katie Markhart, you can talk to her. She's kind of ramrodding that deal, I think. She's in the back standing there. So wave, Katie. You can wave at everybody. Yeah, she's, uh, she's back there. If you don't know who she is, you can talk to me after the service, and I'll connect you up with her. So in case you missed the sign-up sheet out there, uh, she has at least three kids in Sunday school, so she could probably sign you up with uh, get some uh, things. Okay, six bucks for each sale goes directly to our team, as far as I understand it. So hopefully you can be involved in that. Tomorrow starts Camp Vera. Uh, Marge is in the back over here on my right, your left. So if you have any questions, uh, contact her. Marge, would you make sure that you're out at the welcome table, kind of like after the service? Are you able to do that? Okay, right after the service, if you have signed up or you're interested in helping out with Camp Vera, uh, meet in the Fellowship Hall, at the back of the Fellowship Hall, right after the service, and uh, you'll get going. That starts tomorrow. Please be in prayer for that, that people will uh, come, that the young people will hear the gospel, that they'd be encouraged, not just uh, physically and all that sort of stuff, but spiritually, that lives would be changed and touched for that. By God's grace, Iowa Bible Camp starts this afternoon. Uh, Tom Baird is the main contact person there, so I know he's retired, but I'm going to put him on the spot. So if you want to uh, talk to somebody, have children that you're interested, or young people or adults interested in going to camp, uh, Iowa Bible Camp, and uh, that starts today. Last thing I want to call to your attention is the backside of the announcement about the pizzas is the 4th of July celebration, okay? So we're going to have a party here on the 4th of July. And we're going to start with a meal, and then we're going to have some uh, just free-for-all games or whatever you want to do, and uh, we're going to have uh, 
the lawn open for people to come in and sit down and watch the fireworks, the Urbandale fireworks. It's a great spot. You can see them. You don't have to fight the traffic. You can park right here, fight your friends, your neighbors, your cousins, your uh, long-lost relatives, and uh, join us and come and uh, have a good time and celebrate with us. If you can help out in any way, uh, there's the information in the bulletin to contact the deacons. They need some help with setting up and tearing down and, and picking up. And, you know, when we invite people in, we're going to have uh, some goodies for them. If all goes well, popcorn and slushies and all kinds of stuff. Uh, so they'll probably make a mess and uh, we'll probably have to pick it up. But that's all part of the price of serving the Lord. Okay. Boy, I do not like making announcements. So anyhow, let's, let's pray. All right. Father, thank you for your grace and your mercy, uh, and I pray for myself that the words of that last song we sang, your grace is enough, would truly be the reality for me and for each of us here, that we would grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, that we'd come to a point in our life, if we haven't where we put our trust in the grace, the God of grace, and that we would continue to walk in faith, trusting in your grace. Lead us into your word and open our hearts. Speak to each of us as you know each of us needs to hear. I pray that we would treat this as it is, the word of God and not the word of men. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, it's been a long time, but several years ago when I was watching uh, the Disney animated movie, 101 Dalmatians, there is a scene towards the end of the movie that is really, really telling because uh, there is a, a black lab that is helping. If you know the story, it's about these 101 Dalmatians that are being uh, sought after by Cruella DeVille. She wants to use their coats to make clothing out of and sell it and make a bunch of money while they're trying to escape. And so on their way back home, Pergy and uh, uh, Pongo and Purdy, that's the, the two adult dogs, are trying to help all these little ones escape. And there's a scene in which they're fleeing back to their masters and they have, 100, or they have 99 little ones and they're holed up in some old factory and a black lab comes to help them. And they realize that there's a bunch of soot on the, on the ground in, this, in, in piles in this factory. And so they all roll around in the soot and instantaneously 101 Dalmatians become 101 black Labrador retrievers. And then they sneak out in groups of four and five and six puppies to a, a truck that's waiting, that's enclosed for them to make their great escape. And Cruella is outside with her evil eyes looking all over and seeing these black labs going into this truck until finally the last group of five or six little black lab puppies, quote unquote, are making their way to the truck, slurking and sneaking along a building. In, then they go under the eave of this building and the snow is melting off of the roof and the water is dripping down on the eave and all of a sudden it starts dripping on the quote-unquote black labs, removing the soot and exposing their real white coats with their black spots and their true colors come out and Cruella knows and the chase is on. 
in the same way that the, the water exposed the true colors of the 101 Dalmatians, those of us who name the name of Christ, if we live in a certain way that God's word describes and prescribes for us, our true colors as those who are part of an unshakable kingdom of God will be made manifest. There are certain activities in the lives of believers that expose our true colors. And this morning, as we continue on in Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 13, verses 9 through 16, we see that there are three practices that enable us to remain faithful as believers, but also expose our true colors as God's children, as part of that unshakable kingdom. And so I invite you to Hebrews chapter 13 in your Bibles or on your device or whatever it happens to be, and the page number is printed for you, uh, the little Bibles in front of you under the seats, in the seat pocket in front of you, the page number is printed there in the bullets, and I'm going to read the text, and then we'll unpack these three practices that expose our true colors as members of God's kingdom. Beginning with verse 9, do not be carried away by varied and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods, through which those who were thus occupied were not benefited. We have an altar from which those who serve the tabernacle have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy place by the high priest as an offering for sin are burned outside the camp. Therefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people through the, his own blood, suffered outside the gate. Hence, let us go out to him, outside the camp, bearing his reproach. For here we do not have a lasting city, but we are seeking the city which is to come. Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that give thanks to his name and do not neglect doing good and sharing. For with such sacrifices, God is pleased. There we go. It's a difficult text, actually, to tease out all of the things. There's some references, again, as we go through Hebrews, this is common to the Old Testament. So it's our prayer, that my prayer, that we'll be able to understand this in a way that makes sense to you and me. And the first practice that I see in the text that marks us out, that exposes our true colors, is the shun of legalism, that we, we shun this legalism. In verse 9, it, it, the, probably the insecurity and immaturity of those to whom the author is writing, these people, made them vulnerable to the idea that their faith somehow was deficient, their faith in Christ, in spite of the fact that he has just said in verse 8, what does he say? Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. In spite of the fact that the person of Jesus and the truth about Jesus never changes, their immaturity and their insecurity led them to somehow believe that yeah, what, what, we're, what we're following, this faith in Jesus, just isn't quite enough. That the, the old practices need to be followed. Teaching foreign to the grace of God is often, often, often a problem in the New Testament. We see it in the book of Acts. And Paul tells the, the Ephesian elders, he says, you must watch out because after I leave, savage wolves will come in and they'll try to deceive you. Paul wrote about it in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 13 and 14. But in Galatians 1, doctrine that's antithetical to the grace of God 
was poisonous there too. And Paul wrote these words. You can look on the screen if you want in Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 8. It says this, I'm amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which is really not another, only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even though we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to that which we have preached, do, uh, do you let, oh, I don't know, I can't even write, I guess. You let him, uh, let him be accursed. Just let him be accursed. Now that's the idea. If somebody's preaching a different gospel, he should be accursed. If any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to that which you received, let him be accursed. He repeated it twice. So this preaching a different gospel is a bad thing. It's not a good thing, and evidently, uh, the legalists' rituals and the rituals of Judaism were something that these people to whom the author was writing were tempted to revert back to. They, were, they had been liberated from these things, but they were being enticed. Somehow, there was a belief that if you ate certain foods or you abstained from certain foods, that, and this was part of the ritual of Judaism, that you could gain access to God or you could grow in your intimacy with God. And they had been freed from that. And Paul tells us that in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 8. Uh, if we see these, uh, this verse, I think we have that one, Chad. Yeah. But food will not commend us to God. We are neither the worse if we do not eat nor the better if we do eat. What Paul is saying is it's not about following these religious rituals and what you eat and what you don't eat. Now, I'm making this case, if you look at the text of verses 9 and 10, he says at the end, we thus occupied were not, they, those who were thus occupied were not benefited. Then if you look at verse 10, we have an altar from which those who serve the tabernacle have no right to eat. So there's this contrast between what the readers had embraced, which was grace through Christ, and the Old Testament way, which was ritual and rules and regulations and eating or not eating, and that's the way you were earned your way to God versus through the person and the work of Jesus. So the author calls them. And he calls us today to actively resist being swept away. That's his words. Don't be carried away. By the teachings, dietary or otherwise. Now for them it was mostly dietary. For us it amounts to some other things that promise access to God or promise that if we just do these things we'll gain greater intimacy with God. It's a hoax. It's, it's not true. I like what uh, one author that I read, Coster, said, his words condemn each and every way of salvation based on religious rituals and sacrifices. Now, some of you without a driver's license, you haven't done this before, but uh, those of us who have driven uh, have probably been out on the open road when the wind was blowing, especially if you're like us, and we, when our kids were younger, we had a minivan, and so then the, when the wind's blowing, uh, when you're driving down the road, open road. I'm not talking about Urbandale and you know, Des Moines. I'm talking about Interstate 80, okay? You're out on the open road, and the wind is contrary. It's either forcing you into oncoming traffic, or it's forcing you into the ditch, You must constantly resist in order to stay the course. It's a picture of what the author of Hebrews is saying. Resist constantly because there is this, this, this exhortation that we are to 
not be carried away and tossed to and fro, which is the same similar wording that Paul uses in Ephesians 4.14. Don't be tossed to and fro. Now the explanation is given. Why, Why should we do this? The explanation as to why we should avoid legalism. And he uses a, a positive and a negative. And first of all, it's good to be strengthened by the grace of God. Verse 9, if you look at the middle part, for, that's the word for, gives us the reason. It is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace. What does that mean? It's divine grace. What is grace? It's undeserved favor. And blessing that's poured out on believers through what Christ has done on the cross. It's that and not observing the rules. Now, regarding eating or regarding, now for us, maybe what you wear or how often you attend or what exact version of the Bible you read or whether you follow every single rule of every single regulation that other people put on you? No. Or any other religious practice. That's not what starts, that's not what sustains our relationship with God. No, it's not. It's grace. Some of you know the verses, Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. By grace. By God's undeserved favor. None of us deserves salvation. That's why it's a free gift. For by grace you've been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. The grace of the faith is not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. Not as a result of works so that nobody can boast about it. And Paul had taught that in Ephesians. The people here in Hebrews, they had embraced that. They understood it. No, only grace strengthens our heart. Then he says, the negative part of it is, he says, it's vain to be occupied by the law. That's my translation of the end of verse 9. He says, for the heart, it's good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods through which those who were thus occupied have not benefited. You can grow up in the church. Go every time the church doors are open, follow all of the rules, wear all the right clothes, do all the right things, and still be outside of the kingdom of God. Because rules and regulations and requirements and rituals do not bring us into a relationship with God, and neither do they in and of themselves keep us sustained and strengthened in a relationship with God. This is what he tells them. Dietary regulations and ceremonial rituals and religious practices are of no spiritual benefit to them or to us or to anyone else. Romans chapter 14, verse 17, Paul put it this way. He says, for the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. He is repeating, if you have your Bibles, you can turn over, you can look at the screen. He's basically repeating what he said in uh, chapter uh, 10, or chapter 9, verses 9 and 10. In chapter 9, verses 9 and 10, he says, uh, beginning with the second part of it, he says, According to both gifts and sacrifices are offered which cannot make the worshiper perfect in conscience. Since they relate only to food and drink and various washings, regulations for the body imposed until a time of reformation. I'll bet you here there are many of you who grew up in a church where you you did all the right stuff. 
You know, you went to Sunday school when you were a kid. You went every time. You, you Maybe some of you were acolytes, and maybe some of you were, you know, helped serve communion. Maybe some of you did all of the rules and religious rituals. Some of you even grew up in evangelical churches where we were at church every time the doors were open, and we wore the right clothes, and we had the right Bible, and we did the right things, and we always were kind to everybody else, and you never understood that all that stuff, as good as it can be, wasn't what brought you into a relationship with God. It is grace and not these rules. They're vain. They're empty. You see, none of our diet or our dress or our dutiful attendance or our penance or our ritual prayers brings us into, into, into an intimate relationship with God and none of that keeps us fueled in our relationship with God. We're saved by grace. We're sustained by grace. It's God's gift. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. He's identified with Christ in his death and burial and resurrection by faith. I have been crucified with Christ And it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who gave, who loved me and gave himself up for me. He's saved by grace. He's sustained by grace. The writer of Hebrews says to you, people, don't don't be carried away by some garbage of religious ritual that is empty, that will not nourish your soul. Would you rather have a diet of celery? Or eating at Perkup Cafe. I mean, I've eaten celery. I don't eat it anymore. It's a, it's a waste of time. You might as well chew. I might as well chew on this podium. I mean, it's got you know. I suppose a little bit of fiber helps you maybe somehow. But there is the illusion of benefit. There's the the illusion that something will benefit, but there's no blessing to it. I mean, you have to put peanut butter or something on celery to even make it palatable. I can go to Perkup Cafe, and I'm sustained, and I'm satisfied, and I'm strengthened, and that's grace. Celery is the law. You can eat it all you want, but it won't benefit you a bit. Paul Dalich is right. He says, Judaizing doctrine and precepts about meats and the grace of the new covenant are mutually, or they mutually exclude each other. God's grace and all this legalism, they're like water and oil. They don't go together. So I ask you this morning, are you you being drawn into legalism? Thinking that or maybe you're still stuck in legalism. You think, well, if I just do all, I, mean, I come to church, that's good, you know, and I do what I'm supposed to do, and that somehow that's going to bring me into a relationship with God, or if I'm in a relationship with God, if I just do those right things, then, then automatically I'll be closer to God. Folks, if you have never tasted the grace of God, then the author of Hebrews says, look, that other junk, it's not going to benefit you a bit. Just leave it. And surrender your life to Christ. Put your faith and your trust in what Jesus did on the cross as a payment for your sins. And his grace will save you. And sustain you. 
you don't know Christ, then repent and trust Christ. If you do know Christ, then hey, rejoice in it and, and keep in it. Stay in it. Don't, don't go outside of it. Second practice that reveals our true colors. We shun legalism, but then we show loyalty. And if we are truly grace people, then it will translate into how we live. And here is where the text gets a bit complicated. There are three incentives for loyalty to Christ that are presented here. First of all, the means of our loyalty. Notice it says in verse 10, we. So whenever we see we, we should ask the question, who is we? And I believe that the we here are those believers who, to whom he's writing particularly, but us by extension, but they had left Judaism. And they had left all of the physical, tangible evidences of their religious system. They left the tabernacle. There was no tabernacle for them now. There was no priest that they had now. There was no altar upon which they could offer sacrifices. There were no ritual ceremonies that they were to follow. And they felt a little bit lost, irreligious, kind of like, I don't know if we've got it. They had missed out, or so they thought. But here's the deal. Though they were devoid of all these physical, tangible evidences, and we are too, okay? We, we don't follow that stuff either. They're devoid of it. They're not deprived of the blessings which those physical things were typifying or were pointing to, were picturing. Because the sacrifices are all satisfied for us in the person and the work of Jesus. And he goes on to say in verse 10, I'm not making this up, he says, but we have an altar. So the, the, the knock against them was, hey, you don't have any religious stuff going on here, so you maybe should question whether you're really in the kingdom or not, whether you really are people of God. And, they, and the author here says, hey, we do have an altar, and the altar that he's referring to is the cross of Christ. He speaks of the cross. We have an altar. It is upon Christ crucified that he says that every believer is entitled to eat, and those who are outside don't eat of it. That's verse 10. He says they, they don't have no right to eat. Those who are occupied with the law, they don't have a right to eat. Now, the significance of all this is the complicated part, or can be, in the text. Because how he teases that out is that he makes a contrast and a comparison with the Day of Atonement sacrifice, which is the shadow and the type of which... Jesus' sacrifice is the substance and the anti-type. Now, okay, think about it this way. What is a shadow? Don't you remember when you were a kid? On a sunny day, now I know it's been hard because we haven't seen the sun for how many days? Well, yesterday afternoon the sun was shining. Okay, so you're walking along and the sun is casting a shadow. What is the shadow? Is the shadow anything? You can't touch the shadow, right? You can't tangibly hit. So don't you remember walking along as a kid and you'd kind of try to trick the shadow, you know? You try to like, oh, I'm going to, when the shadow, it just kept moving. You were the substance that the sun was casting the shadow. So the Old Testament is the shadow, and the person and the work of Jesus is the substance. And so that's what the author is trying to point them to, that the Day of Atonement is the shadow, and 
the work of Christ is a substance. So if you look at verse 11, he says, for the bodies of those animals of the Old Testament day of atonement sacrifice, I added that, okay, whose blood was brought into the holy place by the high priest to make an atonement, a temporary atonement for the sins of the people in the Old Testament. This is Leviticus chapter 16, verse 27. Then the, the flesh of the sacrifice was taken outside the camp and incinerated and not eaten. You understand, in the Old Testament, most of the time the priests ate the sacrifices that were offered, but not on the Day of Atonement. They couldn't partake of that sacrifice. It was not eaten. No, not at all. So, but by contrast and in comparison, look at verse 12. Therefore Jesus, also that he might sanctify the people through his own blood, suffered outside the gate. In the same way that the Old Testament Day of Atonement calf that was sacrificed was taken outside the gate and not eaten, Jesus Christ was sacrificed outside the gate. Why? Look at the text. What's the purpose for his sacrifice? To sanctify. To sanctify, which means that he was able to render acceptable to God that which was previously abhorrent to God because he removed their guilt and defilement so that they could be worshipers and serve the living God. How did he do that? What was the price that he paid? Look at the text, verse 12. It says, the people through his own blood... On the Day of Atonement, the calf was offered and the priest took the blood and sprinkled it in the altar to cover the sins of the people for a time. In Christ's sacrifice, outside the gate, he offered his own blood once for all as the final and full sacrifice for sin for all time. Now... That's what it says in Hebrews chapter, you can write these down, I'm not gonna, I don't have time to look at them, in chapter 2, verse 17, in chapter 9, verse 14. How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself up without blemish, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? How much more in comparison to the Old Testament sacrifice on the Day of Atonement? And the place that he suffered was outside the gate. Now, why did they take the calf flesh outside the gate? Why was Jesus cast, banished outside the gate? That's John chapter 19. Pilate and the Jews outside the gate, crucified, hung on a tree because that's where he was outcast. That's where he was cursed. That's where he became a sin bearer, undefiled or defiled, and horrific in the eyes of the Judaistic religious people. And Jesus suffered outside the gate. And the amazing thing is that Christ's better permanent sacrifice makes it possible for us to have eternal spiritual nourishment. The Old Testament sacrifice on the Day of Atonement, they could not eat it, the priests could not. The blood of Christ, he says in John chapter 6, he who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. Wow. Now that's heavy stuff. But there's a contrast. And we must understand what the contrast means. Because when Jesus said it in John chapter 6, you must eat my flesh and drink my blood, he was not talking about physical consumption. He's not teaching them cannibalism, for Pete's sake. He's painting a picture of what it means to believe. Eating 
drinking in John 6 is believing, trusting in Christ. Now, I give you the verses. You can read them later. But in John chapter 6, verse 48, 51, 53 through 56, he says, you must eat my flesh and drink my blood. But he's not talking about physical consumption. That's verses 35 and 40. He says in John 6, 35, and many of you know it, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never hunger. And he who, what? What's the next word? Believes in me will never thirst. Eating Jesus is to partake by faith, to trust by faith, his death on the cross as the sacrifice for our sins, whereby we are spiritually nourished forever and gain eternal life. The one who partakes of Christ, believe, is cleansed of all our sin. We're not only cleansed, we're reconciled to God. And we're brought into this heavenly kingdom. We gain eternal life. The moment we trust Christ, we gain eternal life. It's not something tacked on at the end of our lives. Believers, let's get it. You, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him after they die will have eternal life. Not whoever believes in him. At the moment we believe, we are eternally alive. And Jesus says, do you want to go back to practicing religion? You want to go back to just got to do this and do this and don't do this and don't do this. You got to wear the right clothes. You got to eat the right meat. You got to not eat this kind of meat. You got to wear this kind of dress. You got to follow this kind of ritual. You got to offer these kind of prayers. You got to offer these prayers this many times, this many times a day, three times a day. You got to bow, bow, bow three times a day. And then if you don't do it three times a day, you might be on. Then you come to the Day of Atonement. You get your sin sacrificed for one little bit of time. And then next year you have to do the same thing. But every day in between, you have to sacrifice three, twice a day. That's exhausting. And he says, it's done. The spiritual food that gives life is still available. That's the beautiful thing. And if you're here this morning and you're not trusting in Jesus Christ, you've never partaken, never believed that his death on the cross is the payment for your sins, you can receive that gift of grace today. It will nourish you in the same way that has nourished people throughout history. And we'll continue to nourish people. Well, that's the means of our loyalty. But the mandate for our loyalty comes next. See, if we've tasted of Christ by faith, then there is a response that's natural. And the mandate is go outside the gate. Jesus went outside the gate because God wasn't working inside the gate. Inside Jerusalem, nothing happened in there of spiritual significance. So he went outside the gate. And he says... The writer of Hebrews says, go outside the gate. It's a call for the followers, for everyone to come outside of religiosity, of dead Judaistic religion or dead humanistic religion. That's the translation for today. Any path other than Jesus, we're to leave it and go outside to Jesus. And be devoted to him. Come to Jesus by faith. Be saved by faith. Be sustained by faith. And we'll be redeemed. And we'll be brought into the heavenly sanctuary by the blood of Christ. Hebrews chapter 10. Verses 9 and 10. Hebrews chapter 10. Verses 9 and 10. 
says this. Then he said, behold, I have come to do your will. He takes away the first in order to establish the second. That's the, the old covenant to establish the new covenant. By, his, by this will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. That's the mandate. Go outside. McLeod says in his commentary on Hebrews, the true Christian can have no part in a system that had cast out Jesus. And I would say to you, we have no part in any system today which excludes the supremacy of Jesus and his sacrifice on the cross. Now, there's lots of people saying they're Jesus, but you've got to dig a little deeper now and find out what, what that means. Every true child of God must go out to him in faith. And he says here in Hebrews 13, considering the reproach of Christ. Now, this is where it gets dicey, okay? We must consider the reproach of identifying ourselves with Christ more valuable than any benefit that would be gained by denying him or distancing ourselves from him. This is the cost. This is take up your cross and follow me, Jesus stuff, okay? Matthew chapter 10, verse 24. You must deny yourself and take up your cross daily and follow me. Count the cost of, of being a child of God. Some of you have eaten at Chick-fil-A. We used to live in northwest Iowa. We had to go 50 miles for the nearest Chick-fil-A. Chick-fil-A is not open on Sunday. Started by Truett Cathy, who is a believer. Here is... The mission statement, part of the mission statement of Chick-fil-A, the corporate purpose to glorify God by being a faithful steward of all that is entrusted to us. They just rose to number three of all fast food chains in their, mar in, you know, their market share. They went outside the gate. Now, I'm not saying everybody who goes outside the gate is going to be blessed by that, but they tell you what, they've been reproached. I think they're banned in New York City now. I think, I think they can't, they, they, they don't want them in New York City. I may be wrong on that. You can check my facts. I'm not, you can fact check it, okay? I'm, I didn't fact check it before I came. I just wasn't thinking about saying that. I just did. So that's what gets you in danger when you're preaching, okay? You just say things that come to your mind, and sometimes mine is lost. But the point is, they went outside the gate, and what would motivate us to go outside the gate to follow Jesus and identify with the reproach? He says in verse 14, the motivation. I don't know, about, verse 14 says, for here we do not have a lasting city. If you're here and you need to be convinced that we are not living in a permanent lasting city, uh, you're not old enough. Okay? I mean, we... It's, it's evident every day, okay? I mean, aches and pains increase. Faucets keep dripping. Paint keeps peeling. Repairs keep needing to be made. Wood rots. Metal rusts. And we decay. This is not a lasting city. He says, we're not part of a lasting city, but we're going there. We're going to one. And that's what keeps us going. That's what enables us to endure the reproach of living for Christ, of identifying with him, and enduring the reproach is because heaven is coming. We're unashamed to show our loyalty to Christ and reveal our true colors before Cruella de Vil in spite of the reproach because 
our gaze is fixed on a city that is to come. Our gaze on that which is eternal gives us grit for that which is earthly. This, is, this world is not my home. I'm only passing through, said, I think it's Brumley, okay? That was part of a hymn, okay? But you know I'm musically challenged, so I don't know what the name of the hymn is. We, and despite the heartache, the hardship, and the humiliation of our identification with Jesus, we press on. And we go outside the gate and we say, I'm a Jesus person. Why? Because heaven is coming. Because this is what we're promised. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth passed away. And there is no longer any sea. You know what the sea meant for the people of the Middle East? Trouble. The Revelation chapter 21 is where I'm at. Okay, It's trouble. No more turmoil in heaven. And I saw the city, the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among us, and he shall, and he shall dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be among them. And he shall wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there shall no longer be any death, and there shall no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. That's why we keep pressing on. That's what the writer of Hebrews says. You see, Matthew chapter 16 says, If anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. The people of the first century who followed Jesus, you can read it in, in Hebrews chapter 10. What did they do? They, they, they got Their families rejected them. Their countries persecuted them. And people took their possessions. And folks, same could happen to us if we go outside the gate and follow Jesus. Unbelievers, here's the deal. The beautiful thing about Christianity is it's not a matter of works religion. Almost every other system that I know of, a religiosity, is a work system. You have to work your way to heaven. Here's the deal. None of us is good enough to get to God. That's why God came to us. Jesus Christ became a sinner so sinners could become saints. Every other religious system, you've got to work your way to heaven and you never know if you're good enough. So I just invite you to come outside the gate where the blood of Christ will bring you forgiveness and reconcile you to God and give you the promise of eternal life. Christ suffered out there and his love is so overwhelming and compelling that we were willing to sacrifice and suffer for his sake in light of what is coming in glory. Believers, what does it mean to be loyal to Jesus for you? I mean, I have to stand up here for me. I have to be true to my conscience and preach the truth in love. I need to be more bold with my neighbors and family and friends about the person and the work of Jesus. I have to be consistent in opposing indecency and immorality. And I think you do too. Young people, you're going to school, you're going to classes, you need to challenge the nonsense and the knuckleheads that are 
preaching that which is contrary to the truth of God's Word. You need to be willing to write papers and turn in assignments that are different than what the professor thinks. Isn't it amazing that the same people who are preaching to us free thinking and, uh, you know, you come to the university for uh, exploration of thought as long as your thought is the same as my thought. As soon as your thought deviates from that of the professor, then all of a sudden you are a mental midget and you somehow need to be enlightened. Young people, stand up for Jesus. Go outside the gate and say suffering reproach for him is of greater value than all that the world could offer me for denying him and distancing myself from him because I have an eternal city and I'm part of an eternal family of God. And others, you know, hey, we got to speak up with our neighbors. you got to not compromise for your employers. We need to be engaging the culture in, when it's opposed to the Scripture. I've mentioned uh, Israel Falau, who is a rugby player, professional rugby player from Australia, who was cut from his team because he tweeted out, basically, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Well, the follow-up to the story is now his brother, younger brother John, six years younger than him, has, was in this dilemma because he wanted to support his brother, but he also was a professional rugby player, and now he has cut off his ties with professional rugby in Australia. He went outside the gate. We shun legalism. We're to show our loyalty. And finally, we're to sacrifice lovingly. And when we do, our colors for Jesus are shining. You see, the heavenly and eternal counterpart to the sacrifices throughout the entire Old Testament system are the sacrifices of God's saints, us. See, when we come to faith in Jesus Christ, we become a believer priest. And notice we see here that uh, we're supposed to praise God with our lips, verse 15. These sacrifices of praise that please God come from us now, not from the priests of the Old Testament, but from believer priests. And it says the sacrifice of our lips. And what's the means of doing that? The text says in verse 15, through him, through Jesus. I don't have time to get into it, but if you read 1 Peter chapter 1 or 1 Peter chapter 2, uh, verses 5 and 9, you see that we're able, as, as those who come to faith in Christ, we're brought into a relationship, we become priests, believer priests. And as believer priests, through our high priest, that's Hebrews chapter 8 and 1 Timothy chapter 2, he is our mediator. And through our mediator, our high priest, we offer up sacrifices to God that are acceptable to God. That is spiritual service of worship. That's Hebrew, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. And so these are the sacrifices that, that we offer up. We're, we're supposed to offer up these sacrifices of our lips in praise to God. What's the manner of doing it continually? The Old Testament sacrifices were done regularly. We're supposed to be offering up Lips of praise continually. Uh, I want you to see this picture of uh, Dwayne the Rock Johnson. Okay. Now, Dwayne didn't get to look like this because he occasionally went to the gym. Okay. He is continually, obsessively working out. I'm not commending that necessarily, uh, but neither am I condemning it. I, I mean, you know, it is what it is. And you can be, that can be you, 
In my opinion, as long as you put Jesus first. I find it might be a little hard to do that, but that's another story. But we're to continually do it to rejoice always. I don't know about you. Sometimes I struggle with rejoicing. I mean, I just, sometimes I'm just not so joyful. I'm just more like, matter of fact, like, let's get the job done. Let's do this. We've got to dig in. We've got to get the work done. Let's uh, do this. And rejoice always. And everything give thanks. Verse Thessalonians 5, verses 16 and 18. And continually offer up. And the method of doing that is the fruit of our lips. A quote from Hosea chapter 14. And Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Matthew chapter 12, verse 34. So, you know, what's filling our heart? See, all of the religious ritual doesn't earn us a relationship with God, doesn't deepen our relationship with God, but religious, religious activities done consistently can cultivate our relationship with God if they're done in the right reason or for the right purpose. And if our hearts are full of God, then our mouths will give thanks to his name. And we do that through singing and through speaking. I don't have time to look at it, but you can look at Psalm 17 and Psalm 118 as speaking and singing. I want you to look at this clip from uh, Russell Wilson after Super Bowl 49, if we can. Uh, maybe we can, maybe we can't. Do you have it? You don't have it. Okay, well, then we're not going to look at it. Uh, in the, in the video clip of Russell Wilson, who was a quarterback for the Seattle Seahawks after Super Bowl 49, he says that he is grateful because he thanks God and he thanks Jesus for the opportunity to be where he's at and to do what he's done. He believes it's not an accident that God put him there. Uh, some of you know the name of uh, Stephen Curry, and he plays for the, um, uh, what is it? Uh, what? Golden State, yeah, that's it. It's still, it's out, all these people are from out west. I don't know what the deal is. They're, they're these Jesus people. Maybe the rest of us need to move out there and, and become Jesus people. I don't know. But anyhow, he said after um, they got into the, the, their playoffs, and they, at game seven, they were behind before they went into the championship game. And he came out in the last quarter and scored like 14 points. And it was a marvelous thing. And Curry said this, I thank God for health and the ability to just come out and enjoy the moment. So the point is, with the fruit of our lips, speaking praise to God. And I ask myself, I ask you, when do you actually vocalize your praise to God? Other than in the shower. You know? We should thank God. And you could go back. I read one of the, one of the authors I was reading. He went back and you go look at Hebrews chapter 13. He said, we, we should thank God for the love of the brethren. That's verse 1. We should thank God for a faithful spouse. If you're married, that's verse 4. We should thank God for his protection, his presence, and provision. That's verses 5 and 6. We should thank God for our leaders. That's verse 7. We should thank God for his grace. That's verse 9. We should thank God for heaven. That's verse 14. We thank God with our lips. But so we don't get misguided and be accused of the fact that, oh, it talks cheap. You know, yeah, they're always saying, thank God for this and thank God for that. But they really don't care and they really aren't Jesus people because they don't do anything. He says that there's a second way to praise him. It's not just through our lips, but it's through our lives. In verse 16, he says, do not neglect doing good. Paul, Galatians chapter 6. Let us not grow Let's not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we shall reap if we do not grow weary. So, 
while we have opportunity, let us do good to all men, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. So what are we doing good? Young people, pick up your room. You know, do what you're told without arguing and bellyaching and whining. Adults, act like adults. Pick up after yourselves. You know, you mess it up, you clean it up. You open the door, you close it. You turn on the light, you turn off the light. You bring out the tables, you put away the tables. You move the chair, put the chair back. A few weeks ago, I challenged us as a church body about doing good. Go introduce yourself to somebody you have never met before. Do good. Find somebody who's serving in the body of Christ and say, you know what really blesses my heart? Uh, and uh, Jesslyn, bless your heart, girl. That just, just blesses my heart hearing her play that. Now, that's not to say anything negative about anybody else up here. I was blessed by all of them. You know? And I praise God for our praise teams. And they're here early and they're working out hard. And then finally, how about we engage in a spiritual conversation with people? Let's do good. We can do good in those ways. In other ways, we can do good by helping out with uh, buying some pizzas. You know, I won't eat any pizza, but I'm going to buy some. I'll give them away, you know. We can help out by doing good in that way. We, what? Yeah. Next Saturday, we're having a work day at the church. You're going to come pull weeds and trim bushes and, uh, you know, put on your outdoor clothes and get dirty and sweaty, you know. You can volunteer. You can come on 4th of July and help out with a picnic. You can sacrifice. He says the sacrifice, sharing, doing good and sharing, sharing our stuff. So many of you have shared your stuff. You've shared your skills. You've shared your everything with us as a family and as we've been moving and getting adjusted here. Just do that. Whatever you can do. Some of you are plumbers. Some of you are electricians. Some of you are mechanical. Some of you are, you know, uh, educated and you do computer stuff. You can help and share and do good. Sacrificial giving and doing what's good. And when we do that, we reflect what's really in our heart, which is the person and the work of Jesus. We show our true colors. Um, again, I don't have time to go there, but if you look at 1 John chapter 4, verse 11... We're gonna, can you put that one on the screen, Chad? There you go. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And when we do that, we show our true colors. See, the Dalmatians tried to hide their true colors from Cruella. We're not supposed to hide our true colors. We're supposed to show our true colors. And this morning, as we close our service and we take of the bread and the cup, you know what the deal is? We celebrate going outside the camp and partaking of that which is the eternal sacrifice of Christ. What he did for us makes it possible for us to live for eternity. And if you're here this morning, I invite you, if you know Jesus, to take this bread and drink this cup as symbols of his death and sacrifice for us and uh, rejoice in it. And if you don't know Christ, I invite you to consider it as an invitation to put your faith and trust, your trust in Christ as your Lord and Savior. Let's pray. Father, give us grace to live out the truths and show our true colors. We pray in Jesus' name.